Good morning. Our theme this morning is there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. If you'd please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Now, if you're on our email list, uh, I always send out uh, the week previous to the, to the message what my text is. And um, lately, Pastor Chris has been uh, writing, a, preparing a Bible study for you to use. But I always do encourage you to read the chapter beforehand. Now, this is a long chapter. And I am not going to read the whole chapter this morning, although we are going to cover the whole chapter because it's, it's, a, it's a one storyline. It's all related. Um, but I, would, I hope you read chapter 2 this week. I would encourage you to read chapter 3 before next week. Um, but uh, we will look at, or just read this morning, verses 19 through 28. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs, who removes kings and establishes kings, and gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles of Judah, who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me uh, the dream which I have shown and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, Neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. Let's pray. Father, we have a great clash of worldviews here. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians represented the, the kingdom of men, the world of men. It was superstitious. It was what we would call pagan. It believed in sorcerers and witchcraft and, 
and magicians and soothsayers. It studied the stars to, to learn of the future. But Daniel and his three young friends, exiles from Judah, carried away captive from Jerusalem, had a different worldview. They believed in God. They believe there is a God in heaven, a God who controls our destinies, a God who reveals the future as he pleases, a God who is in control of the future, a God who is in control of our future. So Lord, I pray this morning you would prepare our hearts, open our eyes, our ears, our minds to your word. Lord, uh, I, I believe in this passage, Daniel lays out uh, some future prophecy that could only happen if there's a God in heaven. So speak to us, I pray. Amen. Why should Nebuchadnezzar have dreamed such dreams? Nothing on earth could present any real threat to his security. He had enormous power and wealth. Popular among the people, respected, feared. His word was never questioned, nor his will disputed. His armies in the field had just won some of their greatest victories, yet night after night it happened, this dream. Morning after morning, this dream haunted him. As his uneasiness grew, so did his sense of frustration and anger. He had to know what did it all mean. In Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar came to respect Daniel. We saw that last week. In this chapter, chapter 2, he comes to respect Daniel's God. We'll see, however, next week that it was short-lived. Well, it wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar that was, that was uh, frustrated. We also see the frustration of the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans were a subset, a social class among the Babylonians. Now, in other words, all Chaldeans were Babylonians, but not all Babylonians were Chaldeans. Chaldeans were highly educated. Their area of expertise was to study the stars. They were both astronomers and very good astronomers, way ahead of their time considering they lived 600 years before Jesus. But they weren't just astronomers tracking the stars. They were also astrologers. They tried to predict uh, the course of events by the stars. They tried to tell your future by the stars. They were soothsayers. In fact, this is a very pagan, a very pagan court. Um, we see uh, mentioned here magicians and sorcerers and soothsayers, uh, astrologers, uh, Chaldeans. Well, as Nebuchadnezzar's frustration grew, so did the Chaldeans. Because Nebuchadnezzar had had this, this, this reoccurring dream over and over and over. And he wants to know, in fact, he asked them not just what it meant, but he asked them what the dream was. Okay. It's one thing to, for the king to tell you what his dream is, and then you come up with an interpretation, right? Nebuchadnezzar knew that. He knew that was too easy. So he calls all these guys together and says, hey, I've been having some very troubling dreams and I need an interpretation. They said, well, that's great. T 
tell us what your dream is. And he said, no. You tell me what my dream is, then I'll believe your interpretation. Well, they said, uh, uh, it can't be done. Uh, I mean, we can't do this. They said, well, I'll give you a little time. You know, uh, you can put your heads together and come back pretty soon with what my dream was and then the interpretation. Oh, by the way, if you don't, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to tear down your houses and make them dung heaps. I'm going, to, I'm going to kill every one of you. The problem was every one of them included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were on the king's court. They were considered to be of this, of this class. Um, what is interesting in this chapter is starting in verse 4, with the quote, from verse 4 until chapter 8, this is all written in Aramaic. This was a reminder to the Jews that God was now working, uh, was now revealing himself to the Gentiles. That he was now um, bringing judgment upon them through the Gentiles. This Gentile tongue was a reminder. God was now speaking to Israel through Aramaic, through a foreign tongue. The Bible calls this the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. Um, yes, God was showing the Babylonians that he spoke their language, but he was also providing an object lesson to uh, the Jews. Isaiah 28:11. Indeed, he will speak to this people the Jewish nation, through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. So God is getting the attention of, of uh, uh, the Israelites. He's getting the attention of the Hebrews. Uh, he's now using a, a foreign tongue to speak to them. Now, some think perhaps the king forgot the dream. I believe, however, it was a test, a test of the wise men. But look at verse 13. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. So they couldn't deliver. No matter how much time they were given, they couldn't deliver. So the king sent out a decree, uh, kill them all. Unfortunately, that included Daniel and his friends to kill them. Now, what, what strikes me about this is that the, that the devil, the evil one, was willing to sacrifice all his false prophets to get rid of four true ones. To get rid of four of God's faithful servants. If he could get them killed, he didn't care how many dozens, hundreds of others he killed. He just wanted to eliminate Daniel and his three friends. Well, the problem was, of course, if you look at verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can declare the matter for the king, as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything of any magician or conjurer or Chaldean. Well, they, they were right. Man's incapable of knowing the future. They were incapable of discerning uh, the dream. And so were their gods. And so were their gods. However, 
there is a God in heaven who can do the impossible. There is a God in heaven who can do the impossible. Look at verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So man could not tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was or what it meant. And their gods could not tell Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and the interpretation. But there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven. So this brings us to the revelation of God. What did they, what, how did Daniel and his three friends respond? Verse 18. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So they prayed. <laughs> Daniel's three friends, they, uh, they, they requested uh, compassion from the God of heaven concerning this. Prayer plays a big role in this book. Verses 19 through 23 basically is a prayer. Um, in chapter 6, verse 10, we see Daniel at prayer. We see what happens to, that, to him because of that. In chapter 9, again, we see Daniel at prayer. Well, the prayer was answered. The dream and its contents was revealed to Daniel. So apparently before the king's edict could be carried out, Daniel went to Arioch and said, listen, um, I, I know the dream. God has revealed to me the dream. And Daniel was brought to the king. But let me show you something I think is, is pretty remarkable uh, as far as Daniel's character. Okay. Um, go back to verse 18. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Okay, so first, you know, there's some self-interest here. Uh, yes, they're false, God, they're false uh, wise men. They, uh, uh, they, they, they're pagan. They're, they're, they're worshiping false gods. Um, but God, don't destroy us along with, with them. But Notice what Daniel does in verse 24. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. So what does Daniel do? He saves the life of all these guys. Right? He says, listen, don't, don't kill them. Now, he could have said, and I got to wonder if I was in that position. He could have said, well, those guys can't, can't do it. Go ahead and kill them, but I've got the answer, right? Leave me, let us be. He didn't. He said, don't, don't kill them. They, no, they can't give the king an answer, but I can. Don't kill them. So he saved their lives. The fact that the Almighty God would communicate truth to a pagan Gentile king like Nebuchadnezzar is evidence of the grace of God. So he gave Daniel the dream and the revelation of what the dream meant. Now, 
we have the revelation of God that's in the Bible. We have the final complete revelation of God. I do not believe that God needs to speak to us through dreams anymore. He has given us his word. He has revealed himself. There is a God in heaven who has revealed himself. He's revealed it in scripture. He's revealed it in, the, in his son. So God is a God of revelation, but he's revealed it through the scripture. Well, what does Daniel tell the king? Verse 31. You, O king, were looking and behold, there was, a, there was a great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you. Its appearance was awesome. This is an awesome statue. The hand of that statue was made of fine gold, its, its breast and, uh, and its arms of silver, its, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time. It became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the earth. Well, Daniel fulfills the first part of the king's demand. What was the dream? And he tells him what the dream was. You, you saw this great statue. And you saw that it was made of gold and then of silver and of bronze and of iron and eventually a mixture of iron and and clay, and as you, as you were standing there looking at this awesome statue, this huge uh, stone boulder came and crushed it to smithereens. So not only could Daniel give him what the dream was, he then gives him the revelation, verse 36, uh, the interpretation. Here's the interpretation of, of Daniel. There was the dream. This was the dream. Now we will tell you its interpretation. You, O king, are the king of kings, little k, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the strength and glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. You are the head of gold. This awesome statue stood uh, for what was in store for the known world. What was going to happen in the future. Okay? But you'll notice as we look at it, the deterioration of the materials. So first, it's, it's gold. It's made of gold. Now, this, this had to go to Nebuchadnezzar's head. In fact, we'll see in chapter 3, it did go to his head. Um, but Jeremiah had prophesied that there would arise a king named Nebuchadnezzar who would be uh, the ultimate power. Jeremiah 27, 6. Now I've given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant. And I've given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his land, uh, of his own land comes and many nations and great kings will make him uh, their servant. So Jeremiah had prophesied both the 
rise of, of Nebuchadnezzar or Babylon and the, the fall of it. But the head of gold stood for, stood for Babylon. And the extent of its kingdom. But that wasn't all that um, he saw. Verse 39. Now, again, as we read chapter 2, we, we need to read it, and we'll, we will look at this when we get to Daniel 7 and Daniel 8. Because Daniel has a, a similar vision in which the countries um, are identified. But so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of the statue, which we'll see here represents kingdoms. He was the head of gold. The first kingdom is the kingdom of Babylon, but that kingdom will not last. Verse 39. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Okay. So that is the, uh, the, um, breast and arms of this statue. They're made of silver. Then, verse 39, another kingdom of bronze will rule over the earth. And we see in verse 32 that that's the belly and the thighs are of bronze. Verse 40, and there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, as much as uh, iron uh, crushes and shatters all things so that like iron it breaks in pieces it will crush and break all these pieces. So what do we see here? And again, when we look at t- chapter 7, chapter 8 we get a more uh, sp- specific uh, revelation. But what we have in, in verse 39, first of all the silver represents um, the Persian Empire. After Babylon came the Persians. In fact, uh, it's, it's represented by silver and by two arms, which if it, it was actually the Medes and the Persians. We usually short, uh, shortcut that to the, the Persians, but it was the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So there was going to come someone who would replace Babylon, represented by the silver, two arms, uh, the Medes and the Persians. And then in verse 39, the second part, you have a kingdom of bronze. Alexander the Great, the Greeks, his army used bronze helmets and breastplates and, and shields and swords. So you have uh, first the kingdom of Babylon, replaced by the Medes and the Persians, replaced by Greece. All right, and verse um, 39b, then another kingdom of bronze which will rule over all the earth. Alexander the Great uh, conquered the known world. Now, Josephus was a first century Roman Jewish historian and military leader who wrote, um, among other things, a history of the Jews. Now, Josephus was a uh, again, first century um, uh, figure. So during the, uh, he writes in his book, The History of the Jews, that um, the priest of Israel brought the scroll of the prophet Daniel and showed it to Alexander the Great. 
okay, telling him that it was a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy. Now again, these are, these are events 100 years in the future from Daniel. There's no way he could, he could have known this. Um, but the, the, the Jewish priest came to Alexander the Great and, and showed him from the book of Daniel that Daniel had predicted about uh, his coming. Um, then verse 40. Then there will be a fourth kingdom. So you have Babylon. You have the Persian Empire, which overthrew Babylon. You have the Greeks, who overthrew the Persians. And then you have, of course, the Romans, who overthrew uh, the Greeks. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as, as iron. Rome was called the Iron Legions, or the Iron Heel of Rome. They used iron helmets and coats of, of, of mail made of, of iron. But there was a problem of, with this empire, verse 40. Then there will be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, and as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks into pieces, it will crush and break all these pieces. So the iron kingdom is Rome, which again, conquers the known world. The problem was that you saw the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, and it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron as much as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. And the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly pottery. So some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, it will combine with one another in the seed of men, but it will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with uh, pottery. So the iron was representative of Rome, but Rome, of course, got too big. It included uh, uh, so many people that it created a, a, a weakness. Eventually, it divides into two, eastern and western. Look back at verse 33. That's why in the statue, it's the legs of iron. There's, there's two. There's the eastern empire, the western empire. Um, so, it, it, it falls. I mean, it, it's great that the head was of gold and then silver, then bronze, then iron. The problem was at the foundation, it, was, it was, had clay. It, it was, you know, men are made of clay. It will not last. It will not stand forever. We'll see here in a moment. It'll be replaced by an eternal kingdom. So, Daniel's covering things here that are 400 years in the future. In fact, the fall of Rome would be almost 1,400 years in the future. So he's predicting the, 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 the rise and fall of Babylon, and then the Persians, and then uh, the Greeks, and then the Romans. But, of course, after that, there were more empires. You have the Holy Roman Empire. You have Napoleon's Empire. You have the British Empire. You have the Third Reich. You have the USSR. And you have the United States. And what do they all have in common? They all will fall. They all have or will fall. This awesome statue crumbles before a more awesome stone. Verse 44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom 
which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for other people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. So he has this dream that this giant uncut stone crushes his statue and it crumbles. Um, Of course, the stone not cut by human hands means it's divine. There is a God in heaven who will bring down the kingdoms of men and will establish an everlasting kingdom. In fact, it will become a mountain. Verse 45, And as much as you saw the stone was, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and then it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true in its interpretation, trustworthy. Well, the mountain in the Old Testament stood for God's kingdom, Isaiah 2.2. 2. Now it will come about in, that, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as a chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and the nations will stream to it. So it's talking about the coming of Christ's kingdom when Christ will come to judge his enemies and establish his kingdom. So, what, what, what's the takeaway from here? There is a God in heaven who brings down the kingdoms of men. There is a God in heaven who brings down the kingdoms of men. Be it the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, or all the other empires since. There's a God in heaven who brings down the kingdoms of men. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was pleased. Not only did he learn the dream, but what it meant. This brings us to the administration of Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 47. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Only if Nebuchadnezzar meant this, only if he acted upon this with true repentance, Uh, true repentance, but we will see in coming chapters he did not mean it. But Daniel is promoted to the king's court. And verse 48, the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon. Well, Daniel was in the king's court. So Daniel was promoted to the king's court. His friends joined the administration. This will come into play next week in chapter 3. But here the takeaway is, there is a God in heaven who controls our lives. There is a God in heaven who controls our lives. Daniel and the three Hebrew children were slated for death. But God saved them. God promoted them. God watched over them. But he was also in control of Nebuchadnezzar's life. And as we'll see, as the, as the dream reveals to us, he was in control of, of uh, um, um, Cyrus' life, the Persian. And he was in, in charge of Alexander the Great's life, the Greek, and in charge of the Caesars. There's a God in heaven who controls our lives. So what... So what does all this then have to, to do with us? It gives us something to hold on to in uncertain times. 
There is a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven who controls history. Now again, as we look at chapter 7 and chapter 8, we'll bring this all together uh, uh, clearer, but uh, there's no doubt that Daniel, 600 years before Jesus, predicted the fall of Babylon, predicted the rise and fall of the Persians, predicted the rise and fall of the Greeks, and the rise and fall of the Romans. There is a God in heaven who is in control of history. There is a God in heaven even as human enterprises decline as time goes on. Nothing human lasts. Nothing human lasts. We can imagine the glory of the Babylonian Empire. Humanly speaking, it didn't last. Um, The Persian Empire, it didn't last. The, 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 The Greek Empire, it didn't last. The Roman Empire, it didn't last. The Holy Roman Empire, it didn't last. Napoleon's Empire, it didn't last. The British Empire, it didn't last. The USSR, it didn't last. The United States. You answer the question. There is a God in history. Uh, there is a God who controls history. There's a God in heaven. Even as human enterprises decline, as time goes on, there's still a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven, even though man is made of clay and eventually cannot hold together. Man is made of clay and eventually cannot hold together. But there is a God in heaven whose kingdom is everlasting. There is a God in heaven whose kingdom is everlasting. Other kingdoms rise and fall. God's kingdom is forever. Let's pray. My Lord, as we've been seeing in Sunday school, Um, critics doubt the book of Daniel because they won't accept prophecy. They don't don't believe that there's a God who can predict or control the future. So even um, even though they agree that Daniel is talking about the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, they believe he wrote it after. They don't, they don't quibble with the interpretation. They, they don't quibble with, yes, the gold represents Babylon and, and uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the rest. But, but what they quibble with is, well, somebody couldn't know that ahead of time. So they say Daniel wrote it in the first century. We believe, for good reason, that Daniel wrote it in the sixth century. 400 years before uh, this took place, you revealed it to Daniel. So we, we come this morning believing and praising and thanking that there's a God in heaven and he is in control. You are in control. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Lord, help us to rejoice that we're part of that kingdom because human kingdoms don't last. Amen.